Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey, can we celebrate what God's doing in the heart of our next generation? It is just awesome uh, to see this place packed. I've brought every seat taken. And uh, I know Avon, we love you over in Avon. And it is so fun to see God working in Avon as well. And this movement among our students includes our Avon location, which just started at Easter and already has more than 40 middle and high school students engaged there in a student ministry that's really just being birthed. But God is at work. And uh, if uh, if it's your first time with us, I want to say welcome. You've joined us in part two of this series called Lead Them. And whether or not you think of yourself as a leader, this series is about you having a positive influence on the people you care about. And so I want you to think right now about one person in your life who you most want the best for them. And I know we don't all think 10 years down the road or 20, but if you're a parent, picture one of your kids, or if you're a grandparent, or if you're dating someone, picture that one person right now that you think, I want God's best in their life. Uh, For me, I've got three kids, but I'm just going to picture my son, Jack. He just turned 13. And on his 13th birthday, I spent a lot of time reflecting. I remember when he was four, and when he was into Thomas the Train, And he had this blonde hair. He was just this like rambunctious, strong-willed oldest. Just about killed me and Mel trying to get him under control. And now he's becoming a man. I mean, it's just incredible how quickly the time goes. And when I think of lead them, for all three of my kids, I think, okay, 10 years from now, when he's 23 and my next one is 20 and the next one is 18, what choices are they going to be making? Who are they going to decide to be? Who are they going to choose for friends? What kind of people are they going to date? This series is about setting you up as a parent or a grandparent, as an aunt or an uncle, uh, to lead the people you love about, to, to lead them whether they're younger than you or even if they're the same age as you, to lead them well. And I'm a youngest. I don't know how to do that from my upbringing or in my own nature, but God teaches us how to do that. And we're in this study of this leader who was a good leader with a really funny name. His name is Jehoshaphat. He lived about a thousand years before Jesus and he followed a number of really bad leaders. In fact, God uses a whole portion of the Old Testament of the Bible to really show us the consequences of bad leadership. If you're apathetic spiritually, if you're disengaged, if you're just doing whatever feels good to you, it will affect the people around you negatively. And God shows us true story after true story of these king leaders who were selfish and would just do whatever they wanted and as a result the whole nation would suffer. But then in the middle of those he gives us this positive example, this guy with the funny name Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat was not perfect. We learned that last week, you don't have to be perfect to be a good spiritual leader, but you do have to be intentional. Uh, In fact, we're told this in 2 Chronicles 19 about this guy that he, quote, was encouraging the people to return to the Lord. 
See, they were in this little enclave called Judah. And all the surrounding nations were worshiping pagan idols and had turned away from God. And in the midst of a whole culture that was turning away from God, this guy, Jehoshaphat, encourages his people to return to God and to worship him. And I just wonder if you're a parent or a grandparent, if you're an aunt or an uncle, are you being overtly intentional to say, hey, I want to encourage you to live for God in your life? Because every other path will lead you through unnecessary pain, will lead you to ultimate dead ends. I'm going to be intentional as your dad or your grandpa. I might not be a person of many words, but when I do speak, there's going to be times where I say, hey, I want you to follow God because I love you. And I'm going to show you with my actions that I care about you. Ephesians puts it this way for those of us living in the New Testament era. Fathers, and this would also apply to mothers, do not exasperate your children. Funny that God says that. I think he knew how exasperating children would be to us. I know I have times where like our kids get on their device time and they get like so into their game that they're playing and I'm like, okay, five minutes, device time ends. Five minutes goes by and I come back in and they're like, why dad? I'm like, what do you mean why? You know, I just told you. It can be exasperating. And God doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he does say this, be intentional to bring up your children or your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews in the training. What is training? Training's intentional. Training is repetitive and the instruction of what? It's good that we train and instruct them in, in sports and to brush their teeth and in other things. Those are good, but the most important thing is are we bringing them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord? And we've learned that includes things like modeling for them. Hey, unless we're out of town or sick, we're in the house of God worshiping with the people of God. We have friends who are also followers of Jesus who are encouraging us to make right choices. We're serving, etc. Now, I want to give you a visual here because we're going to do something different in today's service. I'm about to bring out a guest speaker, and I want to give you a visual to set up because I just know God's going to speak to you today. Uh, I met this guy recently, and he really has the same calling that we have as a church to raise the strongest generation, uh, but for him, it, it's nationwide and even global. But right before he comes out, I want you to revisualize that person who you're called to lead, or if you want to picture all your kids or all your grandkids, that's fine. And I want you to imagine you guys are about to go on a hiking, camping trip. If you've never been on that, that's where you're like, you pack in your tent, your food, everything is on your back, and you're going on a short hiking, camping trip. First stop is Cabela's or Bass Pro Shop, okay? And you've got a gift card. You can get whatever you need for this trip. So, you know, what do you get? Don't get too much stuff because you're carrying it all, but get the basics. Make sure you're set. Okay, now you set out, and this is what part of the trail looks like. And you're hiking along. A couple days go by and you're about out of your food and you guys are on your way back to the car. It's a big circle loop and you're still seeing new things all along the way, but you're all hungry, you're all tired, you're ready to get back to the car and you know that you really don't have time to meander or mess around. But you, you come over this little ridge and the kids, let's say they're about 20 feet behind you, you come over the ridge and you see this view, what do you do? I mean, if it's me, I'm like, wow, guys, come on. This is amazing. You got to see this. Even knowing some of them will be like, yeah. 
Okay, so we're all leading our kids, our grandkids, our loved ones on a hike through life with big consequences. Now use your imagination with me. This might seem a little silly, but I just want you to imagine you come over the same ridge, your kids are about 20 feet behind you or whoever your loved one is that you visualized and this is instead what you see. You see a pack of wolves, but they're between you and your car. You, you, well, we can't go back. What do we do? Now, I can joke about this maybe for some of you, but for me, if I could go back to Cabela's or Bass Pro Shop, there's a different department I'd be going to (laughs) to arm up, to be equipped. Now, as silly as that might seem, I do want you to just realize today the world that our kids are hiking through right now and that they're gonna be hiking through after God calls us home to heaven. So to do that, I brought in my friend Aaron Pierce. Will you guys give him a big round of applause as he joins me here? Come out, Aaron. (laughs) Aaron's an awesome guy, as I mentioned, has a heart for this globally, and he can really uh, communicate this better than I can. I'm so excited for you guys to hear from him. So please open your hearts. And uh, Aaron, let him have it, man. Thank Thank you. All right, it's so, so good to be here. I love John, I love the heart of this church, and I'm just so excited to, to come together and, and to partner together. Now, let me just give a little quick uh, personal introduction just so you know who I am. Uh, my name is Aaron, I live in Minnesota. I have a family, in fact, I have one wife and four children, which I'm told is the right ratio, the way to do that. Uh, we, we have four kids, we're kind of drowning in babies. And In fact, I heard a comedian once say, if you wanna know what it's like to have a fourth kid, Uh, imagine that you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. And so that's kind of the context that we're in right now. But life is, life is really, really good. Uh, I am called to lead this global mission called Steiger International. And our heart is to reach and disciple the global youth culture for Jesus. Uh, and, and we're doing this in over 100 cities around the world. And essentially, if you put it in the simplest terms, our heart is to mobilize followers of Jesus to reach young people who would not walk into a church. And, and this is becoming an issue more and more in our country today, and we'll talk a lot about that. I have a couple guys on my team that are out in the lobby and a number of resources and books available, so come talk to us afterwards. Um, but you might be wondering, what is this weird word, Steiger? Where does that come from? Well, actually, I was born and raised in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, and Steiger is actually a Dutch word. So my parents there in the bottom right corner were missionaries in Amsterdam, And they had a heart to reach young people of the city that would not walk into a church, which in a city like Amsterdam, I mean, that's pretty much all young people. They see these big, beautiful cathedrals, and they're dead and empty on Sunday, and that is their view of God. And so my parents had a heart, how can we reach these people who have such a negative view of who God is? And they prayed, and my dad would go into the bars and nightclubs late at night and build relationships and pray over the people they met. And eventually he was saying, God, show me something. How can I do this? And this was in the 80s. And Amsterdam was like kind of the center of the hub of of the punk rock movement that was going on. So he felt like, okay, I'm going to start a punk band. Makes sense. And he used that as as an opportunity to share the message in these places. And so from the very beginning, it was all about lifting up the message of the cross. 
uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5 says that, that Paul preached Christ and him crucified so that people would not be convinced by human wisdom, but by God's power. And the power of God lies in the message of the cross. And so they began to proclaim the cross in these, in these clubs and bars. And all of a sudden they started to see all these people come to Jesus. And they're like, what do we do with all of them? And so they started a Bible study on a big red boat behind the central train station in Amsterdam. Again, makes sense. And, and the address of this boat, where this Bible study was, that eventually became a church, the address was Pier 14, and the Dutch word for Pier is Steiger. So they named their church the address. And eventually this grew into a, a global missions organization all over the world with a passion to go after and share the gospel with people who wouldn't walk into a church. And that is the environment I grew up in. I got to experience God's power in profound ways. And what is incredible privilege. And I saw that God was not just this nice religious tradition thing that we do, but that he was real. And he had the power to transform lives. And so that really shaped the, the environment that I grew up in. And it was really interesting because I grew up in Amsterdam. And Amsterdam is kind of like quintessential post-Christian, right? But what's interesting is that here in our country, we've experienced this profound cultural shift. And now we too live in a post-Christian culture. We used to live in this nominal Christian nation, which most identified as Christian, and now many are walking away from the church. In fact, the fastest growing religious group in our country is the religiously unaffiliated, the, the nuns. So in 2011, it was 19%. Last year, 29%. And so this has kind of shifted the way people see the church because it's not just like affiliation, it's also attitude. Let me, let me show you in, in this spectrum. So back in 1990, 86% of Americans on the left side of the spectrum identified as a Christian, but also had a positive view of the church. They saw the church as like a good part of society. The Bible was a moral guide that could be trusted. It was generally a positive environment. And it was in that context that Billy Graham would fill stadiums and say the Bible says, and that connected. It was relevant for its time. But what's happened over the last number of decades, particularly among the millennial and Gen Z generations, is we've seen this rise in the religiously unaffiliated, but a corresponding shift in attitude as well where for many, at best, they're apathetic, don't really care about the church, it's not relevant to those on the far side that are outright hostile to the gospel. And, and so this is the post-Christian shift that we're experiencing in our country today. And I, I imagine, because this is not just trends and statistics, this is personal. I imagine that you can think about people in your life that fit along this spectrum that are apathetic or maybe even hostile. And so the challenge is how are we going to reach them? Now, one of the issues that we experience today is that the majority of our effort to reach and evangelize people today is geared towards the nominal. It's kind of, it's like kind of bring your friend, come and see form of evangelism, which is great. We need to do that. But there's an increasing number of people on the right side of the spectrum that, that won't connect with this. They won't walk into a church. And so the paradigm shift is we've got to go to them. And so that's our heart as a mission is how can we serve the church to understand the cultural moment we're in and engage people relevantly with the gospel in, in this context. So what I want to do is I want to show you a video of a girl 
that I saw on TikTok that really broke my heart. And it describes a girl who started on the left side of the spectrum and moved all the way across to the hostile side of the spectrum. And I think it perfectly represents a lot of what's going on in our culture today. So take a look. How did I go from being a devout Christian daughter of evangelical leaders to an atheist? The majority of my life, I loved being a part of church. I loved volunteering. I loved getting to serve on the worship team. I loved serving on missions trips, all of it. But as I got older and started experiencing adult life and hardships of my own, I witnessed the hypocrisy and the politics that goes on behind the scenes. I was disgusted and shocked at the corruption that the church has, the one place that I thought was safe. And so I decided to take my relationship with God home and to bring it out of church and to make it about a one-on-one -on -one journey with my God. In my early 20s, I started to meet people outside of church, people that lived lifestyles I had been taught they would go to hell for living, people that followed other religions or no religion at all, people that believed differently than me and grew up differently than me. And while I had been raised thinking that these people were not capable of displaying real love since they weren't Christians, I realized that they were some of the healthiest, most loving, kind people I had ever known in my life. And thus, my faith started progressing. I started deconstructing things that I had been taught and questioning theologies that I had once taken as fact. I chose to dive deep into pursuit of God and the Bible in hopes that it would strengthen my faith. But the deeper I dove into that, the more questions that came up and the more silence I was met with. Once I got a broader understanding of the Bible and its history, of science and of my worldview in general, I realized that I didn't even have enough reason to believe there was a God at all, nonetheless the Christian God. But I still didn't walk away yet. I cried out to God. I begged him to reveal himself. I begged him to punish me if I was wrong. I begged him to show up for me in my time of need like my biblical hero David had done. I spent days, hours, countless tears, fasting, repentance, and I was met with silence. And I knew then that at the very least, the loving, kind, father-like God I had grown up believing in did not exist because I knew the purity of my heart in that moment and I knew that no loving God would abandon their child in a moment like this. Immense grief of that loss was met with immense relief that I could now find healing. And through that healing journey, I discovered how much trauma I had suffered at the hands of religion and church. How much of the depression and anxiety that I had gone to God to help me with was caused by my beliefs and by the way I had grown up. What I thought was the cure was the disease. And so now I speak openly about my story and my experiences in hopes that it validates anyone else going through the same thing. You're not alone. You're not crazy. And you deserve healing. Pretty intense, right? I mean, I don't know if you, when, you, when I see that video, it breaks my heart. And, and I, there's so many things I wish I could say to this girl. And, and to, you know, there's, there's, there's good answers to these hard questions. But I, I just want you to feel that and to, for that to break your heart because that's the appropriate response. But then what do we do? How do we respond to this? How, how, do, we, how do we bring Jesus to a culture that is walking away? And so I think one of the things we have to do is we have to adopt a missionary mindset because essentially as Christians, we live in a foreign culture, even within our own cities. So what it means is we need to become cross-cultural missionaries to our own people in our own cities. We need to know how to communicate the gospel effectively to a culture that is buying into all sorts of ideology that have, that's taking them away. 
So part of that is understanding the reality that we live in today. So there's really three key realities that we need to understand when we consider engaging this culture. The first is that we need to understand is that secular people have become increasingly suspicious of religious institutions and are far less likely to walk into a church event. So in the early 2000s, uh, they, there were studies that said that around uh, an average American, uh, 60% of Americans had confidence in religious institutions, and now it's down to about 37%. And so people have become cynical and suspicious for all kinds of reasons of religious institutions. And that is a barrier that we need to recognize and that we need to overcome. The second thing is that secular people do not have the same assumptions as previous generations. They don't have the same assumptions about truth and morality and the authority of the Bible or the nature and existence of God. And so to give you an example, if I were to go to an average secular university and ask someone, hey, if you were to die today and God were to judge your life, would he let you into heaven? Well, I've just presupposed a whole bunch of things that probably the average secular university student doesn't hold to be true. And the key to effective communication is you need to know your audience's assumptions. You need to be able to challenge those assumptions or build off of them. And the fact is that this generation does not have the same assumptions as the past. And so this is the challenge that we have to overcome. Yet in all of this, one of the opportunities is that secular people are open to spirituality. There is a hunger for something transcendent. There's got to be more to life than what meets the eye. And often it plays itself out in kind of pick and choose, make your own spirituality, drawing from Eastern religious thought because I get to have spirituality without accountability. But nonetheless, there's an openness Give you an example. This is one of our focus groups that we did. And a 23-year-old woman said, you know, and she was describing spirituality. She said, it's a feeling for me. Maybe not a being or a person, probably not. But I think there are human experiences. Like when you hold a newborn baby, I think there's an energy. Yeah, like there's a force that lives there. This perfectly describes a lot of the spirituality of our day. And it's both a challenge because this is obviously not a biblical view of God, but it also speaks to the reality that people believe that there's something more. And this is an opportunity to connect with culture. But again, if we're going to be good cross-cultural missionaries in our own cities, we need to understand the influences. We need to understand what's shaping our culture. And a lot of what we're dealing with today is shaped by something called the global youth culture. So the global youth culture, I think youth and young adults all over the planet that are influenced by similar voices. So playing the same video games, listening to the same music, following the same social media influencers, you have this global culture that is more connected and more similar than ever before. And so they're similar on superficial things like fashion trends and, and music, but they're also similar on deeper things like worldview and morality and lifestyle. And this is a global culture that is shaping the way we see the world. Let me illustrate this real quick. Take a look at this picture right here. And based on how look, they look and how they're dressed, in your mind, consider, pick a continent where you think they're from. Just, you know, pick a continent, you know, okay? All right. Are you surprised to hear that they're actually from Lebanon in the heart of the Middle East? 
I mean, those kids look like they could be at a coffee shop down the road, right? So it perfectly illustrates this idea of the global youth culture. So what's influencing the global youth culture? There are really four key ideas. First is entertainment industry, pop culture, film, music, things like that. And the idea here is that it's not just entertainment, it's shaping a worldview. You've got people on the internet stars on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube who are having a tremendous influence through these platforms all over the world. You've got the third being video games, which is bigger than Hollywood. There was a study that came out recently that said the average 21-year-old male in our country has spent 10,000 hours playing video games. Which, by the way, is the same amount of time that you need to master a fine art, right? So, like, this is a huge influence. It's a sincere place of community where people have the sense of accomplishments that they find there. It's a massive influence. And then lastly, and perhaps most sad of all, is pornography, which is so common, so pervasive, and it's having a devastating effect where it's rewiring our brains and distorting our views on love and sexuality and relationships. And all of these things come together to influence a culture. And they're more influential than political dynamics or geographic boundaries. It is shaping the way we see the world. There's a, a guy, Andrew Fletcher, a, a Scottish writer and politician in the 18th century, let, said, let me make the songs of a nation and I care not who makes its laws. These are the things that are shaping the, the culture today. We need to recognize that, recognize not only how they're influencing the world out there, but how they're influencing us as well. And it's being shaped by influencers like this guy. I don't know if you know who this is. His name's Logan Paul. He's a YouTuber, has been on various platforms. Last I checked, he had 23 million subscribers on YouTube. And he can, sh this is a guy from Ohio, produced dumb videos on YouTube, who then shows up to a mall in Dubai in the Middle East for a meet and greet, and this is the reaction he gets. I think you get the point, right? Like it's crazy the influence that they have. And so let's talk a little bit about like what are the philosophical pillars of the global youth culture? What do they believe? What do they think? Well, there's really three key ideas. The first is secularism. Now, secularism does not mean atheism. What it means is that faith is private. Faith is marginalized. So you can believe whatever you want to believe so long as you don't push that on other people. And then that naturally leads to relativism, right? Where there is no absolute moral truth. The morality is more of a preference. It's like an ice cream flavor. You have your favorites, I have mine, but we can't really settle it between us. And then the last idea is this idea of acceptance, which is kind of an, a, a variation of tolerance. Tolerance used to be, you know, we could accept people that are different than us. But now what it means is that if you, if you believe differently than me, then, then you're, you know, we want to shut you down. You have to accept. Like, at, tolerance is not off. You need to affirm and you need to accept. And so we create this paradoxical moment in which all is tolerated except the intolerant and all is included except the exclusive. And so this is the context that we find ourselves in. This is what you're going to hear, but the reality is you can't live this out because it doesn't actually work in reality, right? At some point, something is right and something is wrong. 
And the other really interesting thing is that in a post-Christian context that we find ourselves in, we still borrow from a Christian worldview even as we've divorced ourselves from it. So let me give you an example. I was at a coffee shop a little while ago and uh, the barista had a pin on her shirt that said, be human-centered. And I was like, okay, that's an interesting pin. So I asked her, hey, what, what does your pin mean? And, and she looked at me and said, oh, well, you know, it means treat other people like you want to be treated and consider other people's needs above your own. And I was like, whoa, those are, those are really good ideas. Like, where did those ideas come from? And, and I was like, where do those ideas come from? And she kind of looked at me a little confused and she's like, from the pin. You know, and so here she's quoting scripture, but she's completely divorced herself from that. That perfectly illustrates this post-Christian shift that we're in. So I'm gonna show you a video. I live in Minnesota, uh, and we did some street interviews at the University of Minnesota to just ask some worldview questions to illustrate what I'm talking about. So take a look at this video. How do you think we all got here? How did life begin? So I believe in evolution and that we evolved from primates. I mean, there's proof that our DNA is 98% the same as chimpanzees, so. What is the purpose of life? To find it, make your own. Like, I don't think there's no like grand purpose for anybody, just like and everyone, it's just, there is no purpose. Make, you, make up your own purpose, run with it. So how do you think that right and wrong are decided? I think it's different for, like, everyone, depending on, like, what they think is right and wrong. Because, like, people believe in different things, so it can't be the same for everyone. Uh, what do you think happens after we die? Rather than being showered with, you know, gold and jewels, and we're living in some place where you have to have wings and a harp, um, hopefully we just get reabsorbed into that consciousness that it allows the oceans to move and the tides and the rivers and the trees to grow and I hope. And maybe there's nothing. Either way, it doesn't matter. Pretty interesting, right? And, and heartbreaking. And here's the thing we need to understand that what we're dealing with is not first and foremost a logic issue. We're, we are dealing with a spiritual blindness issue. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So what we're dealing with is, is a generation that has been spiritually deceived. And so that means that no matter how persuasive, how good my argument is, how cool my program is, if I'm blind, I can't see it. Right? If I point at this one, you're blind, you're not going to see it. We need our eyes opened which is that the first response to this has to be prayer because we are dealing with a spiritual enemy. We are dealing with a spiritual blindness. Now, the God of this age that we are specifically dealing with is something called secular humanism, which is really the religion of self. What that means is that God has been replaced. Man is at the center, and there's no outside authority that can tell me how to live my life. It's in this kind of era of my truth, identity, purpose, and morality is self-constructed. I define those things. No one can tell me how to live. And if you pay attention, 
You see these messages everywhere. Uh, this was on Instagram, a guy called Jay Shetty. He's a kind of pop psychologist for the beautiful people. And he says, the rules are fake. Do what you want. Listen to how you feel and make decisions that honor your soul. That's secular humanism. Here's another one. This is at a Starbucks, a poster that said, don't you ever let a soul in the world tell you that you can't be exactly who you are. Quoting Lady Gaga, that is secular humanism. And it sounds so good. And it, it, it seems so appealing. But the truth is, it's poison wrapped in bubble gum. Right? And the consequences are devastating. Nancy Percy, an author, said that once a society accepts a worldview, it tends to work out the logical consequences. And the logical consequences of the secular worldview is that we have a generation that is confused because if you're the source of truth, you're going to be confused. A generation that is sexually broken, lonely, and anxious. I mean, these are universal felt needs of a generation. Anxiety is so common. We talk about it so much, it's almost trendy. But there's no solution. And here's the, here's the saddest thing of all. As, the followers, as followers of Jesus, we have the ultimate answers to these things. Jesus brings truth to the confused. He brings healing to the broken. He brings the ultimate relationship with our creator and with the church. And he brings peace that transcends understanding. We have the answers to the cry of a generation. But the sad thing is that many are not walking into the church. And that should break our heart. And that's where it starts. It starts with a broken heart. I want to show you a video here in a second. And what I want you to do is I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to break your heart. Because this girl, what I'm about to show you, she represents so many people today. So take a look at this video. You know those kinds of girls who look like they're made of honey and glass, like sticky sweet ash, and you can't get the taste off your tongue, burnt sugar and a little bit of rum? And she dances in the rain with her clothes on, drenched to the bone, never knows when she's all gone. She's the life of the party, and deep down I know that nobody flinches when they take off her clothes. And I wonder what it's like to be one of those girls, to sit in the sun and look at the world and never think, wow, am I enough? Cause life is easy when you know that you're the main character and I'm sitting here thinking this is not fair but her smile makes it hard to be mad. It's not her fault that I'm so sad. So I'll sit here and look at these girls in the sun, dancing in the rain and just having their fun and maybe one day I can forget the past and be one of those girls of honey and glass. So I think what this girl says, wow am I enough, represents what a lot of people are asking. And I mean, the, this video went viral because it's so relatable. And so this is the cry of a generation. And when we see things like this, and again, this isn't trends and statistics, this is personal. These are our friends, these are our daughters, these are our grandkids. And when we hear something like this, we sh should respond like Nehemiah in chapter one, verse four, when he said, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Because you see the extent to which our hearts are broken is the extent that we're going to do something about it. You know, when our hearts are broken, we will sacrifice. We will get uncomfortable. We will lay aside our needs, our preferences to go after those that are far from him. But here's the thing. You can't, you can't, like, having a broken heart is not like a workout program. All right, starting on Monday, I'm going to have a broken heart for people. No, you can't do it. You can't change your own heart. The only thing you can do is repent. 
and say, God, my heart is cold. I don't care for people like I should and it's not right. Would you forgive me? And would you give me your heart for people? Would you give me a heart from people in my own family who I've grown cold towards? And when you start to pray a prayer like that, it's dangerous because he begins to give you his heart and you begin to see people, maybe for the very first time, really see people. And it compels you to action. But the first action is that we need to respond like Nehemiah when it says, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. We need to pray desperately. That is the first response. I mean, here's why. Our mission to bring the love of Jesus, to bring the truth of Jesus into a broken world is not hard. It's impossible. That means that no matter the resources that we have, the wisdom, the program, whatever, anything in our strength is not enough. Our only hope is to get on our knees before the God of the impossible and say, have mercy. Have mercy on my family. Have mercy on this city and this country and this world. Our only hope is if we experience the supernatural work of God through our lives. And so what we gotta do then is respond and say, God, I will give you everything I have. First Thessalonians 2, eight says, we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because you see, Jesus is not calling us to give a lot, he's calling us to give everything. He's calling us to give the five loaves and two fish, which is not even a close to enough. And then he brings his supernatural power and he feeds the multitudes. That is what it's gonna take. So my challenge to you this morning is ask God to open your eyes. Ask God to open your eyes to the reality of the world. Then ask him to break your heart for what breaks his. And then get on your knees in desperate prayer because you don't have enough, but you give him everything you got. That's what it's gonna take. And that's why I love the vision of this church because you are committed, truly committed to raising the strongest generation. And this is what it's gonna take. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you because though the world seems dark and though there are many things that are they're so hard in this world. You are a good God and you bring your love and your light into this world and you choose to use people like us to do it. And so Lord, I do pray that you were open our eyes to the state of the world, that we would not hide from that, that you would really penetrate our hearts and that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. Lord, and then we commit to give all that we have, which is not enough, but we give it to you because you are the God of the impossible and you can use us to bring about miracles in our family and in our world. So thank you for your goodness. Thank you for what you did on the cross that makes all of this possible. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Hey, Aaron, thank you. Can we say thank you to Aaron? Appreciate you, brother. So dads, what are you gonna do? Moms, grandparents? What are you gonna do? God has planted you in a church that is spending more resources on this than anything else, on solving this for your kids, for your grandkids. Uh, the reality is you're part of a church that if you'll be intentional 
what your kids experience is, is gonna include some things that they wouldn't get anywhere else. And we saw that heartbreaking video. To me, the most heartbreaking was that first one, that gal on TikTok explaining her journey growing up in a Bible-believing church to being an atheist today. You know, part of that was she wasn't still in relationship after she finished high school with other believers who could talk through those things with her. She wasn't in a youth group that has a PhD in apologetics putting on courses about worldviews and exposing those ideas in middle school and high school in a safe environment. Apparently, uh, her parents had not been surrounded by other believers who were authentically loving, and so she found in non-believing people more authentic love than she found in the church. But I'm telling you, if you get involved here, you will experience some of the most unconditional love you can experience anywhere. Connection Point is a unique church. And I want you to know, uh, I've given my life to this. You're sitting in a room with hundreds of people who we have given our lives. We're giving our fortunes, our talent. We're sacrificing careers and other things we could be doing to say, we're all in to raise our kids for Christ, to raise the strongest generation. But it won't work for you and for those who you lead if you're not bringing them here, if you're not taking advantage of the things that we're building. And so today, very simply, I'm not gonna like solve this whole problem. Next two weeks of our series, we'll talk about lifestyle things. But today, I wanna give you actions that you can take right now where you sit to make sure first that you're aware of everything going on for our kids and students so that your kids, grandkids, niece or nephew is there. Second, I wanna make sure that you're in a small group, like the small group me and Mel are in. All the other families in our small group, we have kids the same age and that's intentional. Because when we meet every week, we'll talk about the message, but then we really talk about what's going on in our kids and how do we parent them. God wants you to be in that kind of relationship. So uh, if you would, I know it's weird to pull out your phone in church, but this is, uh, we're gonna give you some tools. And these aren't just tools like go take these home and read these books. There's some of that in there. But this is today, you can sign up to get in a group with other parents. Today, you can sign up to make sure anytime we have an event for our kids or students, you know. And so here's what you do, pull out your phone. Go ahead, pull them out, let's see them. Let's me know you guys are engaged, okay? Open up your web browser to uh, whatever you use, Safari, Google Chrome, and in your web browser, just type in here cp.news, okay? You go to cp.news, this is our easiest way. Do we have pastors you can meet with after? Of course, but we also have thousands of people and we don't have thousands of pastors. So I want you to be able to right now to say, we're ready as a couple or I'm ready as a single parent to get in a small group with other parents so that every week I'm on top of this. And if that's you, then at cp.news, uh, click there on parenting small groups. These will be new small groups that will launch in December around parenting. Uh, November 20th, so two Sundays from now, at both our campuses, we're gonna have a parenting roundtable. What this is, uh, that you can do all these, by the way. You can sign up for all five of these today if you want. Parenting roundtable is gonna be at this campus and at Avon. Parents who have launched successful kids who love the Lord, who are just maybe 10 years ahead of where I'm at, they're gonna be talking with us, but you'll be seated at a table with other parents or grandparents who have kids or grandkids the same age. Uh, so that you can just say, I, I don't know, what do you do with TikTok? What do you do with device time? How do you handle this? How do you handle that? And you're not going through it alone. That's what the parenting roundtable is. 
Uh, subscribe to parent emails. I know that sounds horrifically boring. I know I get emails like thousands a week from coaches and schools and it's like, oh no, another email. Uh, but I'm telling you guys um, that the, not just programs, but experiences that we're starting to build here for our middle and high school students around worldview uh, are, are profound. And um, we're already hearing incredible feedback from the kids doing them. If you're getting the emails, you'll know about all those and you won't see a video celebrating it and be like, oh, I wish my kids had been there. I had no idea. Uh, if you actually get those emails and, and check them. Parenting books, there's just a ton that our team has put together to help you, no matter the age or stage of your kid. Uh, by the way, with small groups, we've also got grandparenting small groups and we've got empty nester small groups. And some of you might be thinking, this is all really moving, John, and I wanna be part of this, but my kids are grown. How do I be part of it? Well, you can be part of it as long as you're walking with the Lord. Join us by serving. Be a small group leader. My wife's a small group leader for middle school girls. And she tells me, without their names, a little bit of what they're dealing with every week when they share with her. And I encourage her, Mel, you're having an impact on these girls. They are, they are sorting through who they are and what they believe and all sorts of emotions. And they get to sit with uh, her and another godly woman every week as they do that. We can use you as a small group leader. We can use you in kids and students as a volunteer, as well as giving. It's our giving collectively that allows us to spend well over a million dollars a year on our kids and student ministries. And so what we're gonna do, I wanna really give you time to fill out those forms. So the worship team's gonna start a song, uh, but don't stand in worship until you have filled out the relevant forms for the steps that you're gonna take to be part of the vision God's given us to raise the strongest generation. Once you've filled those out, then feel free to stand and worship along with us. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.